internet friends and welcome back to love hate relationship an opinionated podcast for opinionated people i'm andy bowell and i'm alex ruiz and as always we're here to brighten your day anger your soul and tell you how to live your lives in that order and, and alex oh and alex i'm i'm gonna take it yeah because i realized you know the other 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 episode you called me out for how you always kind of have to find the segue for our douchebag buffer and i realized it's just a consequence of the order we do this in where it's just become part of the cadence where you say, you know, um, brighten our, I don't even know how you say it. So it's not stuck in my memory. 44 episodes and you don't remember how we say it. (laughs) Shut up. Shut up. (laughs) You turn to me and you go and Andy, but this time I, I, I'm turning it to you, my friend, and I'm taking the initiative here while we we weed out the people who are interesting and want to hear what we actually have to say and the people who are not. Cool. Um, and I got to say, I kind of wish we were we started recording about five, ten minutes ago because you and I just had this very good, lovely discussion about like the Nickelodeon specials and you brought up this really fascinating point about how you would prefer less is more and, you know, talking about rocket power and talking about Kevin Smith and how he can't just make a movie to make a movie. And I'm not going to have us rehash the whole thing, but I'd rather talk about, I wonder how many other podcasters have a moment like that where they just go, ah, that would have been great. But it's gone to the sands of time. And how many people just hit record and just start going and figure it out after the fact? I don't know the answer. I mean, um, I don't either. I think that um, I've heard more than a few podcasts, especially ones that record like we do, where it's like it's remote. It's it's, you know, we're in different places where they say like, oh, yeah, no, we just chat for a bit to warm up ahead of time. Because I think you kind of have to. If you just go in cold, it's... I don't know. I want to know how you're doing. I want to know what's, like, what's going on with you. What kind of state of mind you're in. And I very pointedly try not to talk too much about the episode we're going to talk about or our topics, but... Right. But, yeah, I mean, I get that. It's... The conversation we we had was because, like, Stephanie and I decided that it's Saturday... And we've been cooped up because, you know, current events. And we were like, let's sit in our jammies and watch cartoons. And we, like, we ordered in, like, stuff from a local cafe. And we watched the Rocco's Modern Life special. And it was not great. Beautiful message. (laughs) Beautiful message. Really, really on point. Gorgeous messaging. Had something to say. Like, I'm not mad I watched it. It was also just, I'm not... I wasn't the biggest Rocco's Modern Life fan. You weren't the biggest Rocco's Modern Life fan. And yes, that is a discussion that you and I had that I will treasure and think about. But, um, yeah, I think that... How often do you want to watch the warm-ups for, like, the singers you like or the actors you enjoy? Like, Oh, that's a very fair point. I mean, the answer is very little, if at all. Yeah, I mean, I... Sound checks actually suck. Like if you if you've ever if you uh, you've run live sound for music before, right? Indeed. Yeah. So you've run a sound check. I have, yeah. And you know, and how does it sound? 
it it never sounds very good. I was supposed to be running a sound check for uh, a live stream concert on Friday, and then that didn't happen because current events. Yeah. So no, I I get it, and and I can't say that like. Like this is maybe I can count on one hand now the amount of times where I've, I've reflected on wow our warm up conversation w- would have made fairly in- engaging content. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not suggesting we do anything different. It was just going through my head of like, huh? If we had been recording, that would have been really really interesting. Yeah, but I, there's um we're oh, interesting anyway. Yeah, and I mean a lot of um I'll tell you this. A lot of writers, especially fiction writers, um, most most people who write long form fiction, they will way, way, way overwrite, and then like your first couple of like your second and third drafts are usually a whole lot of cutting stuff out. And a trick that a lot of writers use is like if there's a scene they really, really love, but they need it has no real purpose to the overall story. It makes things drag or it doesn't really accomplish what a nice tight plot should do, which is just every scene move into another one. A lot of them will have like a folder on their computer that's like cut scenes that I'll do something with one day and they're never going to do anything with it. Never, ever, ever, ever. But it makes them feel like just a little bit better to have it there. Uh. <laughs> and I think of warm-ups a lot of the time kind of like that, you know? Like, they're they're just... Sometimes they sound really cool. Um, you know, uh, famously, Sweet Child of Mine, the riff to that, that was Slash's warm-up exercise. Like, it's just a weird little, like... It's just a weird little arpeggio he plays in a particular scale... And he would just play that to warm up his fingers as he's, you know, getting ready to rehearse or play a show. And it was only after, like, Axl Rose was on time to rehearsal one day and heard it and was like, yo, what's that? That sounds great. And then he, like, wrote lyrics that night when they were at a party and they just... I was about to say, didn't they record Sweet Child of Mine in, like, 30 minutes or something? Something insane like that? Um... I mean, I don't know about that. I know that, um, like, it was the lyrics were one of those things. They would throw parties and they would, like, sometimes just get wasted and write songs. And, like, Axel would write lyrics on the back of a pizza box or something. So that's where the lyrics came from. I don't know how quickly they recorded it. I know Slash hates that song. Like, hates it passionately. And huh. thinks it's bad. Um but admittedly, imagine if like, imagine if you had a little like throwaway thing where you were just like, oh yeah, this is what I do just to like get myself limber for the actual work that I do. And then people were like, it's the most amazing thing you've ever done. And you're just like, really? That's something I pissed away that like, I didn't really care that much about. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's because I've never had that moment, but I always like, cause you know, I've heard of that particular issue more than just with slash and sweet child of mine. That seems to be a, at least somewhat frequent artist problem. And I just sit there thinking it's a great problem to have that you have one thing that is so eclipsingly popular and iconic to you and your brand that you got to sit here and be like, guys, all, all my other stuff's, but, but actually, I tried on that one, 
Uh, uh, okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, popularity is not indicative of quality necessarily. Like the two are God true. The two are very, very different things. And you and you and I have both heard popular things that are god awful and really amazing things that like you can't give away. You can't convince anybody to fucking look at it or listen to it. And, you know, once in a while you get something that lines up properly, but what are you going to do? I I have maintained that every single Fallout Boy album, the singles are the least interesting songs on the album. Mm, mm-hmm. Without exception, every single album, if they had a single on it, it was the most, like, rote, uninteresting song on that album. And there are always better ones. I can't argue, especially uh, God Save Rock and Roll, because I remember the the top single off that when it came out was um, My Songs Know What You Did in the Dark, which is one of the most boring Fall Out Boy songs I've ever heard. Yeah, it just, it just no, it just is. You're, you're absolutely correct. And alternatively, you've got like, you've got From Under the Cork Tree, and, you know, the big singles are Sugar We're Going Down and Dance Dance, which are, you know, they're good songs. You know, I like them. They're, they're solid, but they're no, nobody puts baby in a corner. They're no, I slept with someone in Fall Out Boy, and uh, all I got was this lousy all song written, was, yep, written about me. Yeah. <laughs> there are no our lawyers made us change the names of these songs so that we didn't get sued nobody puts baby in the corner is my favorite song off that album to the point where i remember in high school like having a text conversation with you being like why is this song so good it's really fucking good you saying something to the effect of because pete wentz can melodically seduce you pete wentz can melodically seduce you I don't, uh, pete wentz wrote the lyrics patrick stump wrote the melodies i think but Neither here nor there. Why don't we should do a triple on Fallout Boy sometime. I do not disagree. <laughs> that sounds lovely. We got one coming up and we had a whole discussion about what we were going to do about it, but um eh, we'll figure it out. We'll throw it on the pile. <laughs> uh, speaking of figuring speaking of figuring it out, do you want to get into our uh, show proper, my friend? Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Awesome. Uh, so, hi, you're in love-hate relationship. You've made it past the uh, famous douchebag buffer, where if you're still listening, then that means you're cool. And it means we're going to tell you how every episode of love-hate relationship, we one of us takes a topic we love, the other takes a topic that they hate, or at the very least believe doesn't need to exist in the world. And then we take uh, your relationship questions and provide our perfectly unqualified advice. Yeah. And Alex, this time, I have the love. You do. And I'm trying to remember, we've, we've talked about filmmakers, we've talked about directors, we've talked about writers. Have we talked about just a straight up actor? I don't think we have. It doesn't It doesn't ring any bells for me. I, well. Yeah. Maybe we well, gaslit then, ourselves into thinking we did because we name a bunch of our questions after characters and actors. That's true. But uh, yeah, no. Well, whether he's the first or whether he's the fir- in the first handful, I think it is entirely appropriate today for me to talk about how I 
friggin' love Mads Mikkelsen. All right, I'm here for it. And and to start it all off, like I understand this this is a name some people might know and recognize, and I imagine there's going to be a bunch of people who don't. So using you as a, a base layer, my friend, I want to steal your shtick and ask you a question. Does the name Mads Mikkelsen actually mean anything to you? And if so, can you tell me what you know about him? Yeah, no, um, I think that's a good question, and I think I might be a solid cross-section. I I know the name. I think I first saw him in Casino Royale. Uh, that was, like many people, I think, my intro to him, and I was like, cool, this dude looks exactly like a Bond villain, and I'm kind yeah. of excited to see him here. Uh and then I heard that he was in the new Hannibal TV show, which I have never seen a single episode of, despite your, uh, well, what would you say, proclamations? You're begging? Oh, well, proclamations are a good word. We'll talk about the Hannibal TV show. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not opposed to it. I, I'm a huge fan of, like, the Anthony Hopkins movies, but um, besides the point. I So I knew he was in that, but I haven't seen any of it. Uh, I did see Doctor Strange, and I and I was like, "Cool, he's a villain in Doctor Strange. That seems cool." Um, Doctor Strange is a very like middle to above average Marvel movie for me. I'm like, okay, it's basically the plot of Iron Man, but for Doctor Strange. So, okay, cool, yeah. it's fine. I like Benedict Cumberbatch. I like Chiwetelli Ejiofor. Um, I like Mads Mikkelsen. We're good. And then I thought he was cool in Rogue One. I liked that movie. He's, he is frequent, I think he is frequently a, one of the better or best parts of movies that I generally like. That's probably the best way I can put him. That is a delightful characterization. I I very much enjoy and support that. Um, clearly I agree with you or else I wouldn't be here to talk about why I love him. And, and you did a really great job. I think, um, naming the highlights, um, you know, I'll get it out of the way. Um, Casino Royale was his big breakout role that like, you know, introduced him to the world as the villainous Le Chief. And I think like most people, that's going to be the very first thing you think of when, if you are familiar with the name Mads Mikkelsen, you you hear it. Um, that movie was like fourteen years of, ago, wasn't it? It truly was, and and Craig is still making Bond movies. <laughs> the next one's supposed to be the last one, but you know, neither th- here nor there. I thought the last one was supposed to be the last one. The last one was supposed to be the last one, and then they got an even bigger dump truck full of money and said, "No, no, come back!" Like. We'll, we'll maybe kill you in this one. We promise. <laughs> yeah, okay. So at this point, all Daniel Craig wants to do is work with Ryan Johnson and have ridiculous accents, which I have no problem with. You will find me a respectful, quiet, passive observer of the truth. Yeah, I mean, respect. He's made his money. But we're... We're not talking about either of them yet. We're talking about Mads Mikkelsen, who is a Danish actor um, born November 22nd, 1965 to a um, you know pretty humble um, beginnings. He was the son of a banker 
and a nurse and you know just decided that he was going to go into uh, actually dancing before acting and wanted to be a gymnast and a dancer and focus on athletics and then as he grew up he just leaned more and more into the dancing and performance aspect um he began acting in 1996 with his very first role being the star of the movie Pusher, which was directed by a man named Nicholas Nicholas Vending Refn, who is probably a bit more obscure than Mads Mikkelsen, but is also like just a fucking amazing director. Okay. Um, he is the guy who made Drive, starring Ryan Gosling, mm-hmm. uh, The Neon Demon with, uh, I want to say it was Elle Fanning, Bronson with Tom Hardy, mm-hmm. and he's been working with Mickelson since the start of both of their careers. Pusher was the first movie either of them did. Uh, Nicholas Winding Refn is a very interesting guy. I very much respect his work. He puts my butt in a seat. I liked Drive. <laughs> That's the only one of these I have seen, but I liked it. <laughs> Bronson is great. Bronson's weird as hell. Um, I really like Drive. I really wanted to see Neon Demon, and I haven't. And actually, my favorite um, Vending Refn movie is um, another Mads Mikkelsen vehicle called Valhalla Rising, where Mads Mikkelsen plays like this mute Viking dude. And it's a movie that the script is maybe 10 pages long. That's how little dialogue there is. But it is just so atmospheric and wonderful. And the performances are great. The cinematography is great. Uh, It's a very underrated movie that is probably going to be boring to some people, but is (laughs) utterly delightful to me. All right. Um but yeah, so that was his his first role was uh, he played a a small time drug dealer in Pusher, and then basically spent the next decade just making a bunch of Danish films and gaining a lot of uh, popularity and critical acclaim in Denmark. He was nominated and won multiple versions of whatever their version of the Oscars are. I think it's actually called the Lion Award or something, which is kind of badass. Mm. Um, before he had his first minor breakout in Jerry Bruckheimer's King Arthur, which is the one with Clive Arthur, um, and they all pretend they're Roman. And you know what? That movie's a guilty pleasure for me. I got to admit, but see, I did not see it, but it did not look good to me. And I stand by that. (laughs) I stand by that surface judgment because it's Jerry Bruckheimer and I still haven't forgiven him for Godzilla. So I mean, shit, that's fair. Um, it, it was a fun conceit of what if King Arthur was real? How would that have worked? What would that have been? Okay, he would have been some Roman with a bunch of, like, Gaelic knights. And, like, Merlin and Guinevere are, like, Pictish barbarians. And it's all about Hadrian's Wall. It's... I wouldn't call it great, but I mean, you and I watched a movie very recently that we both came out of it being like, that was really stupid and not good, but God, we enjoyed it. Um, and that's King Arthur. <laughs> well, no, the movie we watched, what was it called? Freefall? Firefall? Well, yeah, the, the, the movie we watched was Free Fire, which is like the crappiest version of Reservoir Dogs imaginable. Uh. But 
was fun. But anyway, so he he was in Jerry Bruckheimer's King Arthur, Mads Mikkelsen was, and he starred, he, he played one of the knights, and that was like kind of his very first foray into international slash American cinema. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he did that, he did a couple other things, and then he had his actual breakout, like we said, as Le Chiffre in Casino Royale. Which and was great. It was phenomenal. Like, you know, that was the start of the James Bond soft reboot. Mm -hmm. And I think they had to have a menacing actor to actually sell the big bad of the movie. You know? Yeah. I think I've used the, I think I've used a a, a Lashif quote in this podcast for one of my drops before, but... I hope our little game isn't causing you to perspire. You know, just he's to to break away from the biography a little bit. Part of the reason I love Mads Mikkelsen is he does menacing so well. You know, there is a there is a certain amount of actors who just can play evil mm-hmm. so 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 well. You know, you, you Gary Oldman and like your Mark Strong's people who who are just good at being bad. And Nicholson is absolutely part of that, like esteemed group of actors, in my opinion. Yeah, I can see that. Which is, which is probably why he was so good as Hannibal Lecter. Like that was that was the thing that I love the most about him. And you know, I, I mentioned we're going to talk about the Hannibal NBC TV sh- TV series. Um, that could be and will be a love in and of itself at some point once I convince you or anyone else to actually watch the damn thing. <laughs> For my money, NBC's Hannibal deserves to come back to air more than Firefly. That is how much I love this TV show. I swear by my pretty floor bonnet. Interesting. And the you know the the hinge on that is Mickelson's Hannibal Lecter. He manages to do something completely different from Anthony Hopkins while still making the character so much so, so nuanced, so goddamn charming but at the same time irredeemably evil i just i love it i love him so much real quick in 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 this sidebar who is will graham in the hannibal show who plays him will graham is um hugh dancy is that his name i gotta he he's fucking amazing as well but let me make sure i get the name right got imdb up right here Yeah, yeah, Hugh Dancy. Okay. Hugh Dancy, who was also in that King Arthur, um, Jerry Bruckheimer film. And other people might know him from Ella Enchanted or... uh, He hasn't been in anything huge recently. He's very much not um, blown up the same way Mads Mikkelsen has, but is still a phenomenal actor. he kind of does the same thing where it's so different from Ed Norton's performance in Red Dragon, Mm -hmm. but it is such a fun, great performance on its own. Uh, He was in Black Hawk Down. Uh, Yeah, really? Like, do you even know the name Hugh Dancy? Does that mean anything to you? No, it really doesn't. And I love Red Dragon. Like I said, I love the Hannibal Lecter movies with Anthony Hopkins. I even enjoyed Hannibal Rising. Again, it's not great, but I liked it. And I've read the novels. Yeah. Like I, I truly think that those novels are fantastic as well. But I was just curious because I love yeah, I mean, Ed Norton 
in Red Dragon. I really do. A lot of people hate it, but I really, really enjoy it. Oh, no. Red Dragon's my favorite. Like, I love Red Dragon, and I will sit here and say, like, Hannibal does Red Dragon in such a satisfying way, like the TV show. Hmm does that story arc in, in such a satisfying way. Uh, just, just so anybody can pin to it. Uh, Hugh Dancy was the prince in Ella enchanted. That is probably the biggest role I can point to as it was that guy. Okay. Um, I, I have a picture of that in my head. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Hannibal. I like, I didn't come up with a bunch of notes for Hannibal because I seriously wanted to be my own topic, but uh, it winds up being, one of the best crime procedurals I've ever seen for like the first season as they're kind of just setting everything up. And then finally they start getting into the actual Hannibal stories. They do red dragon. They were going to do science silence of the lambs as like a season four or five thing, but they still managed to make the entire universe like their own. And like every aspect of it, because you know you've got Lawrence Fishburne as uh, the FBI director, um, Philip Seymour Hoffman's role in Red Dragon, Freddie Downs or Freddie mm-hmm. Leeds or yep. whatever. Uh, they gender bend that role, and it's uh, played by a woman, and she is just as like despicable and shitty, but awesome. Uh, that sounds horrifying, given what happens to that character. Yes, and. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right. Continue. I, I, we, I, I will save Hannibal for another time because okay. like, it is just suffice to say, like it is one of my top three favorite TV shows ever made. It's utterly brilliant. It's astounding. It's a Brian Fuller joint. So anybody who's seen Pushing Daisies, or American Gods, or anything else Brian Fuller's done, like, it is it is just brilliant in a way that man can run a show like no one else. Mads Mikkelsen is phenomenal, Hugh Dancy's phenomenal, Lawrence Fishburne's great in it. Okay. Um, and, like, I was saying before, I think the key ties into part of the reason that show was so criminally underrated and good is because Mikkelsen's Hannibal Lecter is very different from Anthony Hawkins's, but still utterly charming in, in the way that evil can be charming because the guy is pure evil. So going through it again, like you, you mentioned some of the highlights, uh, Mads Mikkelsen was Caecilius who was the main villain, if not the boss villain in Dr. Strange, which I consider to be one of the most underrated Marvel movies. It was certainly one of my favorites for a variety of different reasons. Um, he was also in Rogue One, which um, I'll go ahead and stake my controversial flag is probably my favorite Star Wars movie outside of the original three. Not mad um, about it. Yeah. And then uh, maybe most delightfully of all, and this is actually, I mean, probably this is where most people have seen him in. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen played Rihanna's evil backstabbing accountant in the music video for Bitch Better Have My Money. Yeah, yeah. I love that song. That is a great song. It is a fantastic music video. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like completely unrelated to anything. 
Rihanna for a long time was like my main celebrity crush. I have always loved her. I think she is stunningly beautiful. And, you know, I, I don't hate that she's always kind of presented herself as a spunkier and like more badass version of Beyonce. I mean, I have on more than one occasion, you know, just because I want to be slightly more respectful of my religiously minded friends and colleagues <laughs> said, um, instead of saying something along the lines of like, what in God's name or what in the hell, just say, what in the name of Rihanna's thighs? <laughs> I had no idea where you were going with that. And I'm, I was, I was somewhat frightened, but now I, I'm going to have to adopt that moniker from you. I'm just saying like, <laughs> So this is definitely one of those loves where like I'm trying to put this guy's name out there just a little bit and maybe somebody who's never heard of this actor will be intrigued enough to look into his work. God willing, you watch Hannibal and I have somebody else to preach this gospel to. But like the man has done a a number of interesting and notable character roles through, I mean, what's really a relatively short career. I mean, if you factor in all of his international movies, which is, I mean, to be fair, that's like half of his career and he's still making like just purely Danish films to this day. He hasn't like gotten too big for his home country or anything. Mm -hmm. Um, The guy's still working. He, he does international films, but he'll also like do the more intelligent foreign films. Um, I don't have the title, but he was, he starred in a movie that was like the most expensive film Denmark had ever produced, which I just find interesting. And, and through it all, like I have watched just about everything this man has done um, in English. I, I haven't watched nearly as many of his Danish films, but I have watched a couple. I've never seen this guy, give a bad performance even Mm. in a an arguably bad movie like king arthur he was selling this whole like okay i'm the silent knight and i'm like badass but i never have to talk about it or you know a lot of people talk about marvel movies being sellout projects and you know you just do it for the paycheck because you know you're gonna have a cinematic universe's worth of residual checks to bank off on. And, you know, I I thought that Caecilius was an interesting and fun villain enough. And so many actors, you know, they, they like, okay. Eddie Redmayne. Okay. Eddie Redmayne is a phenomenally talented actor. I've watched his career since it started all the way back in like the pillars of the earth miniseries. Um, Eddie Redmayne will do like an Oscar worthy performance. And then his next movie is fucking Jupiter rising. Sure. Eddie Redmayne has put out bad performances. Uh I've never seen Mads Mikkelsen put out a bad performance. Sure. I, as of yet. No, I mean, there's something to be said about that. I, it's interesting that he has a body of international work that is just beyond us because I think I think with the American-centric view of movies, because we think that Hollywood is God, um, yeah. there's kind of there's kind of this idea that you exist on a spectrum between either Samuel L. Jackson, 
who has actively said, like, he does, like, six movies a year because he loves acting. He legitimately loves to work. It's not that he wants to say yes to... It's not that Samuel L. Jackson will say yes to everything. It's that Samuel L. Jackson Jackson likes working. He just enjoys it. So he's happy to do six movies a year. He doesn't... That's not a problem for him. He loves his job. Versus, like, a Daniel Day-Lewis who does, mm. like, a movie every, what, six to ten years... And when he takes a role, he spends one to two years prepping for it by doing, frankly, a bunch of really annoying bullshit. Um, <laughs> but he turns in an incredible performance every single time, even in a movie that is, you know, not amazing. Yeah. I, I and, you know, it's with Dan. Oh, God, Last of the Mohicans. Um. With Daniel Day-Lewis, he is always the best part of just about any movie that he's in. With Samuel L. Jackson, he is frequently the best part (laughs) of a lot of the movies that he's in. Like, it's not a question of quality necessarily. Like, they're both very good actors, but the amount that they work is different. In the 14 years that Mads Mikkelsen has been on our radar, he's done what was Hannibal three seasons of like 13 episodes each yep okay so he's done uh roughly uh 33 hours of television oh that that's over the course of three years he's done uh, let's say a little less than half a dozen movies that have been on our radar and he has made an incredible impression on you just with that body of work, never mind the Danish work that he's doing that you are significantly less familiar with. Yeah. And I mean, the guy is broken into video games. He was a part of Hideo Kojima's uh, Death Stranding, which has been out for long enough now that we can all say was a very bizarre um potential misfire of a project but i mean it had friggin norman reedus mads mickelson nicholas vending guillermo del toro like it was this bizarre project that everybody i love was involved in so i'm going to consider that a highlight he did his own motion capture work like i'm, I'm on his imdb right now um if you count a movie called chaos walking which comes out next year uh, Mads Mikkelsen has done at minimum one project every year since 2008. So yeah. he's been making at minimum like a movie a year. And yeah, the, the Hannibal TV show is thrown in there. There's several things where he will have done like, you know, three movies a year, two projects a year. Like the man hasn't taken a break since Le Chiffre really yeah and i mean that's the thing with acting like especially if you're doing movie acting if you do a project a year that's considered a good normal pace especially if you pepper it in with occasional smaller projects like being in a music video like doing a video game uh tv can be another monster because the filming schedule can be much more grueling but the other side of it is okay let's we, we can talk about his two kind of big financial points which are his his star wars and his marvel movie both of which he will if he does return he'll return in like a flashback scene 
Like, his characters are done. The payday he got from those alone probably means that he could work for free in as many interesting Danish movies as he wants to for decades. (laughs) Just because Doctor Strange made, what, $700 million? Rogue One made another, like, $800 million, all told? Whatever cut he got out of that, he's good for a minute. Just off of those two movies, he probably financed himself a pretty decent life for a good decade to do whatever the fuck he wanted. And that's not to say anything of the fact that, say what you will about NBC canceling Hannibal, but if you do TV, there's a reason actors say you do movies for art and you do TV for money. You make your money doing TV so that you can take whatever projects you care to do. Fair. So, like I said, this was this was a, a love that I hope somebody who's never heard of Mads Mikkelsen decided to listen to this episode and listen to my spiel on him. Um, like, watch Hannibal, find Valhalla Rising. If you want to see his very first movie, which actually was, like, hugely successful, one of his two Danish Oscars came from Pusher. Find Pusher and, and, and you know, see this guy's freshman effort and then judge for yourself, like that performance versus Casino Royale or versus like he made this, this comic book movie for Netflix called polar, which I actually haven't seen yet, but he plays like this retired assassin and it seems very much like the fuck it. I'm going to have some fun kind of movie. So like, you know, watch pusher and then watch polar and just judge for yourself. This guy's body of work, but I love Mads Mikkelsen. He puts my ass in a seat and thank you for, indulging me in talking about him today of course i i do want to make one more point about him that i find very interesting which is his first role was in 96 and he was born in you said 62 yeah so he was 34 when he did his first movie and he was 44 when he had his big breakthrough just saying kids uh all of you out there who are upset that you haven't like made your mark on the world before you turn 30. Hey, that is an incredibly salient point. And I thank you for making it because yeah, this we can, we can cast him with the Alan Rickman's and like all the other people who didn't become who they were until much, much, much later in their lives. Straight up. Well, I appreciate, awesome, man. I appreciate you bringing this to my attention. I, Andrew, at some point, I will watch Hannibal. I promise. I, again, I love, I love, like, the Thomas Harris novels. I love that storyline. I love that entire universe. I just haven't gotten around to it. TV's hard for me to watch these days. Fair, well, fair enough. Here's the last thing I'll say to kind of chum the water. Uh, Eddie Izzard is a recurring serial killer in Hannibal. And he's fucking great. Never like being called the Chesapeake Ripper. Maybe something with a little more wit. Yeah, okay. I'm down. (laughs) Should we move on? Let's go ahead, man. Okay. So for the hate topic, I'm not going to lie to you, Andy. This is a bit of a vague one, and I usually try and avoid vague ones. But I was sitting here racking my brain like, what's a good hate topic? What's something I can get good and angry about that isn't just, like, current events? Uh, Sure. And... You know, I was talking it over with Stephanie. She was throwing some ideas about it. And she, I don't even remember what she called it, but she called this by a different name. And I went, okay, I need to pare down that terminology. But I'm really intrigued to talk about this. 
So to get into it, Andy, I like to ask you a question, as you already asked me, uh, and I'll come in nice and easy about it. Dear boy, have you ever been to a party themed around a particular time period or decade? I have. I um, We had an old friend from high school, Kristen, who would hold like all of her birthdays would be themed in some way. There was one that was like, you know, Disney character costume party. And there was one in particular, which was like, like, um, twenties mobster Uh, ball. uh, And it was, it was very much like, okay, grab your fedora, put on your flapper dress, come, come give your best James Cagney accent and play some poker while we celebrate this chick's 17th birthday. So uh, yes, yes, I'm familiar with this. Okay, cool. Um, I like that. I've, I've been invited to a number of these and, um, quite frankly, I fucking hate them for... For a few different reasons, uh, and that's kind of why I want to talk about it. So, uh, the term that I've come up with here, and I'm going to try and define it up front so that we know what we're discussing. Okay. We're, um, just to avoid too much meandering. But my topic, the thing I hate, the thing I you just described, is a nostalgia party. The way that I define that is it's a party thrown around the theme of a certain time period. People are encouraged to show up in costumes. There might be certain foods or drinks served to go with the theme. Music from the era, which is the part that I actually dislike the least. Uh, And usually, there is a pretty powerful aversion to the dark shit involved with those particular periods. Mm, Okay. And that is the root of my hatred. To be clear. When Kristen throws a 20s mobster party and people show up in, you know, Al Capone outfits and do their James Cagney impressions and their flapper dresses and what have you, that part isn't the thing that really, like, sticks under my craw. Granted, I'm not much for costume parties usually, but that's not something that I hate on people for doing. Usually the thing that I really, really loathe about nostalgia parties is the weird rose-colored lens that's frequently looked that these periods of time frequently get looked at through these sure um and i'm going to try and illustrate this using what i consider to be the worst offender of the entire trend to be clear 20s mobsters there are problems there it's not the worst offender uh worst offenders and andy i don't know if you I, i assume you've heard of these to me, are plantation parties. And I'm going to get out of the way. I had fucking not until reading these notes. I did not know this was a thing. Okay, let me ask you this. You know about the Paula Deen controversy that came out a while ago, right? Butter, 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 but tickle butter, butter, and butter. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Paula Deen got in trouble because, you know, it turned out that in her private life, she was using the N-word a lot. You know what else she was doing in her private life? Having plantation parties. Andrew, she had plantation parties where she insisted not only on period-appropriate dress, but she hired entire black waitstaffs. Oh, no. Oh, no. That were to be referred to as boy during the parties. Jesus Christ. Because it was period-appropriate, Andrew. All right, yeah. 
Fucker. Heart attack never hit someone so good. So we both live in the South. You live in Florida, which is a weird kind of the South. I live in North Carolina, which is a little more traditionally the South. Although, granted, it's not Alabama. It's not South Carolina. uh, It's not certain parts of Georgia. But it is North Carolina. Sure. Um, I've done the drive down through South Carolina and certain parts of Georgia. And I have passed... uh, what are called plantation venues, some of which are actual old historic plantations, and some of which are just, you know, property that someone reconstructed or redesigned and built up built up a house on it and built up fields in it to make it look like an old school plantation. But the point of it is the same. They're spaces that you flat out rent so that you can play pretend for the plantation era. So that you can play mm. Southern Aristocrat. I'm not going to pretend mm. that every single one of them does the Paula Deen thing. Where they hire an entirely black waitstaff to be referred to as boy. Um, but I will say that even if they don't take that extra step. There is something grotesque in that fetishization of this one very particular period of time. And there's a reason I'm talking about nostalgia parties and not just plantation parties. Sure. Um, and I'll expand to that. But the thing about plantation parties is I think it's the quickest way for people to understand what, wh- why I get so uncomfortable around these. Why I think they're so fucked up. Because if some people who just, you know, they're not, the, you know, if some fucking... Southern suburbanites, or hell, northern suburbanites who just haven't gotten their shit together think that it's fun to play dress up in, you know, gone with the wind garb and go down and play act that stuff. There's an argument to be made that it's harmless fun. And there's an argument to be made that it's fucking fetishizing some really evil shit. And I tend to fall on the fetishization of evil shit side. Personally, and I can understand that, you know, I mean, I don't think I've ever been to a Southern themed nostalgia party. If I had been, I would like to think that I would just be acting like Tennessee Williams and talking about cotillions and having a good Southern lawyer dialect and certainly not uh, being okay with anything fucking racist let's let's use the right words here yeah um but i see your point entirely of like especially because it's a party and like who wants to be the downer at the party and talk about how like oh yeah no you 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 and you would never have been allowed actually in this home uh, during this time period if we were doing it but god thank god we're in 2010 (laughs) And we're not doing it that way. Um, and, and I mean, shit, you look at the South, especially God plantation parties. There's, I, I had no idea this was a thing. And I think, I think you're right. That is the easiest one to like, just point to and be like, this is terrifying. Yeah. Uh, this thing we're all play acting as, um, in real life, every third person in here would have been part of the KKK. Like, and, and the thing is, like, okay, yes, plantation parties, you, you actually brought this up great. Um, 
to say I, you could stand in a party like that and point to people and go, you would never be here. I still have that. Ex I still have that experience going to like roaring 20s parties. I remember mm -hmm. before mm -hmm. the new year when people were like, oh, yeah, next year we should totally throw like a roaring 20s nostalgia party with everyone showing up in flapper dresses and like wearing suits and fedoras. And, you know, it can be like a Gatsby party or something like that. And I sit here and go, cool, 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 cool. You know that I would not have legally been allowed to be in a Gatsby party, like, in the house, right? Like, people who look like me were not legally allowed to be there. I can stand in the Roaring Twenties party or the speakeasy parties and I can go, oh, yeah, no, people want to talk about how much fun it is to have, like, a Twenties prohibition speakeasy party. Did you do you do you know the segregation rates of speakeasies in the twenties, Andy? Because I do. <laughs> I'm not surprised you do. I do not. You still had separate speakeasies for colored people. I'm not even black, but I still wouldn't have been allowed in those spaces. So when people sure. talk about how fun it is to think about this time, to pretend to be in this time. To have nostalgia for this time, to romanticize this time. All I ever see is, okay, you have nostalgia for a period of time where people like me didn't get to be here. Didn't get to stand in this and, space. Right, and beyond that, like, my, my brain is spiraling at the moment into, like, representations of, of this sort of thing in the media, like... Okay, so let's follow this around logically. If if we were being period accurate, there would have been a separate party going on of all of the people who were not allowed into the the twenties gangster white party. Um, and media tells me that the party you would have gone to would have been better and more raucous and having better booze. And I got to stop myself and be like, Holy shit. I, I have totally had the media romanticize the idea of like, yeah, yeah. The, the, the poor colored people parties were oftentimes like much more banging and kick ass than the white person parties. Sure. And that's just, and that's, the, and the thing is, that's true. That's the Roaring Twenties parties. That's the plantation parties. I've seen, I've seen like USO World War II parties. I've seen 50s rockabilly parties. I've seen like 60s hippie nostalgia parties. And again, all of it is periods of time where there would have been problems. Where right. if I didn't, like, if I go to the 50s rockabilly party the only thing I can come in dress up as that actually is period appropriate is fucking Richie Valens, whose real name was, was whose real name was Ricardo Valenzuela. But he had to be Richie Valens to get in the party. I mean, shit, dude, I have never thought about this once in my life, but I completely see your point and the like the 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 fucked upness of the thing itself. And then, you know, you sit there and some, uh, some senior high school girl makes the argument of how, well, this isn't that time and everybody can like dress how they want and have fun. And I can see the fuck up of, of that argument in and of itself. 
Yeah. Okay, so now now I'm allowed to dress like the white people were dressing and just we're going to ignore the problematic aspect of that history so that we can have a good like sweet 16 party. Yeah. And to be clear, I like I'm not mad at that 17 girl, 17 year old girl. I'm not mad at Kristen. Like I didn't No, no. I didn't yeah, have yeah, yeah. yeah, and I didn't I knew I was uncomfortable with things like that. I didn't have the language to explain why. But it is something that has always made me a touch uncomfortable, kind of like the same way that I always just noticed in movies and TV that people don't look like me pretty frequently in these in these stories. Like what what is the like people seem to think that Hispanics did not exist during the Civil War era. I like or if they did, they were all in Zorro land and like in a gold mine in California. Yeah. 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 It it doesn't exist. Just like people think that all cowboys were white when most of them were black and Hispanic. But um and that's a separate rant. That's a totally separate thing. But my point is, um I'm not mad at that seventeen year old girl. I'm not and and you mentioned this. No one wants to be the downer at the party. I've been in I've been to parties like these and I've been uncomfortable and I've said nothing because I don't want to be the brown guy who needs to tell everyone about how shitty it is that we're celebrating segregation times. I I am that person when I'm having an argument with someone who wants to talk about how we need to get back to like the American values of the 1950s Wisconsin suburbs. And that's a space where I can sit here and go, yeah, those suburbs where I wouldn't have been allowed to walk, where if I walk now, people might still call the cops on me because I don't look like I belong today. Like, I can make that argument. No one wants to hear that argument at the party. And I don't say this so that people who, like, have wanted to throw parties like this or who have gone to these parties or participated in these parties or who even enjoy these parties feel bad about themselves. Mm -hmm. I hate it. And I hate it personally. And my goal, which is frequently my goal with these hates is I just want people to think about this stuff. I want them. I, I, I don't like to ruin people's fun, but I do need people to not, pretend that their fun is harmless when it's not and i need them to think about the implications of it i need them to think about you you just said to me like you've never looked at it this way you've never thought of those things this way and i've been thinking of them this way since i was you know a kid going to parties sure most of our podcast audience is white most of our podcast audience is Oh, doing okay enough financially. Okay enough that they can throw a party and not need to, like, feel too awkward about whether or not they can afford it. Although, I have been to poor people parties, and poor people parties are the tits. Uh, <laughs> but the point is, I I know the audience we're working with, and I don't want our audience to feel guilt or shame. I just want them to sure. think. I just want them yeah. to be thinking about this stuff. Like, if I go to the 80s party, 
I feel a little uncomfortable about that in a lot of ways because there's even though that one is less like my exact identity, I can I can go to the 80s party and dance to the Madonna songs, but um there's still a part of me that when there's any conceit of the idea that oh, weren't the 80s such a fun carefree time? Uh, 80s weren't so fun and carefree for people dealing with the AIDS epidemic or Reaganomics. But right. uh, you know, this Madonna single's great, like I love Lucky Star as much as the next guy. That's me being a downer. I will admit that. Enjoying your day, everything's going your way, and along comes Debbie Downer. Always there to tell you about a new disease, a car accident, or killer bees. Who beg her to spare you, Debbie, please, but you can't stop Debbie Downer. But it's part of why I'm willing to, like, extend this to nostalgia parties in general. I think that it's okay to have fun, but it's just not okay to do it without thinking about something like that. I would hate to be somebody who comes from a community that was ravaged by the AIDS crisis and needs to sit here at an 80s party where people are wearing leg warmers and everyone's like, weren't the 80s great? Not for some people. Yeah. No, absolutely, man. I, I, I think that's admirable and I think your framework for wanting to talk about this is admirable because... I mean, yeah, it's not saying that you can't have fun. It's not saying you can't do most of these. I, I, I'm going to go ahead and say, don't, don't do a plantation party. Never do a plantation party. Never do a plantation party. Yeah. That's, that's like doing a, uh, you know, Berlin 1942 party. Um, (laughs) Oh God damn it. I mean, yeah. But no, I mean, for, for, for the most part, um, these don't have to be inherently bad things, just especially because it's a party. No one wants to think about this. It, it's important to recognize that like, okay, we're totally putting on rose tinted goggles about this and we should all probably acknowledge the aspects in which this was fucked up. I mean, if it gives you any solace, Alex, I know that, um, in in 30 years people are going to be having 2020 parties and it's going to be everybody go home and stay in your apartment for the rest of the night and don't get don't leave whatever you do don't leave because that's how people did it during the corona epidemic (laughs) you know i could get behind a party like that i know you could my friend (laughs) that sounds lovely i love it Well, thank you for letting me get that off of my chest. I hope that it was instructive and not just misery making. I, I, you know, I really think it was um, instructive, that is, and not misery making. It is more of a, like, I'm sitting here and I hope at least a couple of our listeners are sitting here being like, God damn, I never thought about that. And uh, hmm, not going to do that for my next birthday now. Hmm. I will continue to have a James Bond party like my sweet 16. <laughs> okay, but like never reference the books because James Bond in the books is a monster. Even more of a monster than in the movies. I was about to say, I mean, honestly, if we're breaking it down, Connery Bond has not aged terrifically well. Mm, I mean, like Sean, to too- Sean Connery what? hasn't aged terrifically well either, so... This is fair. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we get into this question? 
Absolutely. It, it fits very well with um, what we were just talking about. Segways very nicely. I.e. racism. Uh, do you want to read or shall I? Uh, you, you pulled it out. You go ahead and read. Okay. Uh, for the record, the title of this, this comes from relationships.txt. We'll link it below. But uh, the title of this is great. A 21-year-old male talking about a uh, 22-year-old female. My girlfriend of almost two years says I'm racist because of a jalapeno popper. Let's get into it. I never thought I would need to make a post like this. Me and my girlfriend have been together for almost two years and have been as happy as can be. We have barely ever argued until this incident last night. Basically, we were texting back and forth uh, about normal stuff, college shows, each other, etc. I told her I was going to be right back while I throw some food in the oven. She asked me what I was making, and I told her I was making jalapeno poppers. You know, the breaded jalapenos with cream cheese inside. Delicious. Uh, At this point, she said, ew, gross, and followed up by saying she doesn't like jalapenos and she would never eat them. I decided to make a small joke saying, you don't like jalapenos because you are white, lol. For the record, I am Hispanic, and she is white. She blew up, yelling all kinds of stuff like, I can't believe you are showing your true colors, and I have been dating a fucking racist and just going crazy. I thought she was joking around, so I sent some laughing emojis. This made things worse. She called me, I answered the phone, and she started screaming at me and saying I'm an asshole and I probably don't like black people either. I told her to calm down. Eh. And told her it was a joke, and she was like, oh, so my race and my culture is a joke to you. You live in our country, and you start insulting my race. And a lot of other stuff that I can't remember because of how taken aback I was. As of today, we still haven't talked. We have had no problems until this, but apparently I'm a racist because of a jalapeno popper. I don't know what to do from here and how I can solve this problem. I love her, and we planned a life together. I even co-signed on a car for her. I need all the advice I can get. I can provide extra info as needed. TLDR, girlfriend angry because I said she doesn't like jalapenos because she's white. Andy, you're white and like jalapenos. Do you want to start? (laughs) Yeah. And uh, the first thing we'll start is um, protect the anonymity of our question asker by giving them a, a fun nickname and something we can address them by. I've got Ricky Ricardo personally. Oh yes, 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 yes. Okay, that is so much better than I, I was gonna. <laughs> I, I had it going the other way, but I was thinking Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. But let's go. <laughs> I mean, I don't I, hate I, it, I, but I like... let's go. Let's go, Ricky and Lucy. Yeah, Ricky and Lucy. That's rough. <laughs> Spelled the same way as the other. O U G H. That's right. That shows how little you know about the English language. Hey Ricky, you you were you were a pioneer, and I thank you for that. Um, this person who we are calling Lucille Ball throws plantation parties. Uh, is my vibe. I mean, just there was so much like repressed hair trigger. I can't get over the thing of instantly flipping this around of. I've been dating a racist. I can't believe you're showing your colors. I can't believe like you hate me when I mean, I understand the joke. I got the joke. 
Lucy did not get the joke, and I think there there has to have been so much uh, bad shit brewing up inside of her to just kind of set off this time bomb. I mean, God, what 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 to do here, Ricky? Um, clearly, you know, you you say you love her, you've planned a life together, and and more troubling, you've co-signed a car, so you can't just like say finger guns back out have a nice life uh, i would sit lucy down and have a hard long conversation and i mean god you two are in your early 20s so i remember how stupid i was at 21 and 22 and it, it's not going to be easy that's for damn sure but if you really want to fix this you need to have a long hard conversation with lucy and started off as working together as figuring out that neither of you, or at least that you were not racist. Um, she, she calls you a racist. I want to give Lucy the benefit of the doubt that she's not actually racist, but the anger is so confusing here. And, and, anyway, you need to have a long, hard talk with her and, and break down like, where this is coming from, what has inspired this, how she actually feels, and then hopefully if the conversation is productive enough, you can get her to start to change her viewpoint. And if nothing else, understand what you made was a harmless joke and that she is not the one who deserves to be getting upset by this situation. Alex? Whew. Good thoughts, Andy. Uh, very compassionate. And I'm actually not going to argue out of your... I'm not going to argue against your compassion at all. I, I agree. Talking about this is a good idea. I, I'm i going to start by saying your title is incorrect, Ricky. Your girlfriend of two years did not say that you are a racist because of a jalapeno popper. She said you are a racist... Because she is a racist. She has been dating you for two years. She can still be a racist. This is a fact. Race, like racism is present for everyone. Period. Um, there is a theory that uh, people of color cannot be racist towards white people. Because racism requires a, po- a power dynamic. I actually subscribe to this theory. You cannot be racist towards a white person because you don't have power over white people. You are Hispanic. In whatever uh, Latin American country your family hails from, it's a different situation because um, being Hispanic and being uh, and being white or black is a separate thing. Uh, ethnicity is different from race. I'm giving a whole primer on race theory right now in like... <laughs> As briefly as I can, and I say this because I have a point, but here's but but here's here's the end of it. White people who say that anyone is being racist against them are not educated on race. They are not. Now, a lot of them get their talking points from people who are also poorly educated on race. And they should fix that. They really should. I highly recommend some resources. Um, there are a million primers on race 
and racism and prejudice that you can have. You could be prejudiced towards white people, but you cannot be racist towards white people, not in this country. This country that she says you are living in uh, and you are being racist towards her because she's white. Um, by the way, uh, white people totally stole this country. Just saying. Uh, true. White people totally stole uh, about a third of this country from the Latin Americans who were already living there. So a little bit of a fuck you to Lucy there. But okay, besides the point, your girlfriend has a very ignorant view of race and racism. Uh, it doesn't sound like you are... Go, you are quite equipped yourself to go into the nuances of that discussion. Uh, and I'm not mad at you for that. You're 21, you know, both of you. And she's 22. You know, I didn't learn a lot of this stuff until years and years after that point. I was when I was your age, I was just starting to develop the language to properly talk about this stuff. And Andy knew me when I was younger. I was pretty smart for the people around me. And I was ignorant about this shit. Can you attest? Oh, and how? Yeah. In ways I cannot say publicly. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's because he's white and he can't say the N-word. Um, here's my point, Ricky. You clearly want to keep this relationship. And to be honest, I don't think this is an argument that necessarily should absolutely has to run you to the hills. If you try to engage with her and she is not hearing it, if she is not willing to have that discussion, if she is not willing to engage with her own racial ignorance, and maybe you should find nice ways to put it to her if this is something you do truly want to pursue, but if she is not willing to do that, then you do need to leave because frankly... The country comment by its like the race, the racist, you are a racist towards me comment is troubling enough. The fact that she says you are in this country. Um, I'm sorry. Well, what, what did he write? Uh, or what did she write? You live in uh, our country and you're insulting my race. Yeah. Um, that sounds like she gets her news from the blaze. That sounds like Hannity talk. That sounds evil. And I'm not going to call her evil, but I'm going to say that she's clearly getting her rhetoric from places that do not respect you and that are not informed historically and are not informed rhetorically and are just plain prejudiced and unabashedly so and unexaminedly so. I don't know if that's a word, but eh. point is this needs to be examined. If you've co-signed a car with her and ultimately she refuses to examine this and she and this needs to end, uh, there are ways to negotiate that ending. There are. And quite frankly, if she fucks you over on it, she's going to be fucking herself over on it, too, because it's co-signed. But it doesn't change the fact that there might be a point where you need to extricate yourself from this. And I think the best thing for you to do is figure out where that line is for you. How much engagement, how much of a leash are you looking to give her here? And how far will you let her tug on that leash or step over that line before you decide you have to go? Because right now she does not 
this is not going to be healthy for you. This is going to be bad. You say you have a future planned with her. I'm very afraid what happens if you want to have certain music played at your wedding or if you, oh, God forbid, you try and raise kids bilingually. Like, I'm not saying that's what you're planning on doing. You're not saying that was part of your plans. But I'm just thinking about the kinds of things that can come up here. Being in an inter-ethnic relationship is difficult. Andy and I can both attest to that. Yeah, I was about to say. And it really only works if the person with the ethnic privilege is willing to engage with that privilege and see where it is damaging to the relationship, see where it is damaging to the personal dynamics. Uh, Andy, I don't presume to know where all these cross-sections have happened with you and Mariah, but I know that it is an ongoing conversation with me and Stephanie. Shit's hard. Yeah. Shit's fucking hard. No, absolutely. Shit is absolutely hard. I mean, a lot of my compassion comes from just trying to give Lucy the biggest possible benefit of the doubt and... Yeah, I can see her growing up in a household where Fox is always playing and you've got fucking Sean Hannity spouting this bullshit. And maybe, you know, it was baked into her growing up and that's where a lot of this came. And it's not too late for her to reexamine that worldview. That's why I, I say, like, you need to have that hard conversation and get her to, at the very least make the first couple of steps towards re-examining that worldview. And if that can't happen, then I fully say, I mean, yeah, shit, get a lawyer about the car and get out of that because you, Ricky do not deserve to put yourself through the trials and the base layer of tension that is going to be baked into your relationship after this if it cannot be resolved in any way other than she takes a hard look at her fucking beliefs growing up and decides to re-examine them because she loves you yeah boy we believe in you ricky uh by the way can i just say Like, the actual Lucille Ball was a wonderful human being uh, who was essential to just, like, so much progressivism in Hollywood, and I love her dearly. I don't have heroes, but, like, if I did, she would be pretty high on my board. So I'm a little sorry we roped Lucille Ball into this, but, um, yeah, It it worked for the joke, though, so... We're good. Exactly. And we will put the joke above most other things for, for that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So um, that's been Love-Hate Relationship. And if you want us to um, assign you a joke anonymous nickname to solve your relationship problems, and they don't have to be um, about a boyfriend or a girlfriend, they don't necessarily have to be um, ways that you can grow as a person out of your latent racism. They can be just about, they can be about just about anything that would fall under the umbrella of a relationship. And we are 
are more than happy to take your questions. We are more than happy to listen to your quarantine problems with the fella or lady or person that you've been stuck with for the past couple weeks and you're starting to really have some issues and need some help. We are a open ear for that sort of thing. You can send those questions into lovehaterelationshippodcast at gmail.com where we promise we'll read them. That's right. Uh, I'm just realizing now that I don't have my notes open and I don't have this memorized <laughs> after 44 episodes, but I got Andy to laugh, so it's worth it. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or even tune in radio. Hey, ma. Thanks for listening. Uh, we would also love it if you reviewed us on any or all of those. You can also tweet us at LHRPod. That's at L-H-R-P-O-D with your questions and follow us to keep up with new episodes. I don't know why I'm doing this voice. Andy, for the love of God, get me out of this podcast. You got it, buddy. And I'm going to go ahead and do this voice in solidarity with you. Uh, if you want to hear my other podcast, Cult Fiction, it is a uh, movie show I do with the incomparable Stephanie Renee Johnson. And we um, watch all manner of cult fiction uh, pertinent to this episode. Uh, you know, we watch international cult movies as well. We're kind of working through a, a big uh, Japanese animated movie craze right now. But that is, again, cult fiction. And if you want to follow me personally, I am Jovocop2113 on Twitter. That's right. And I am at A underscore X underscore R-U-I-Z on both Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening, y'all. You stay safe. Stay inside. Do what you can. And tell your enemies. (laughs) 